You're listening to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I'm honored to share with you conversations for the health of all things. In these special episodes, I am joined by guests on the show to explore how the osteopathic concept presents in their lives and learn about their personal and professional stories. Ranging from osteopathic physicians to those familiar with osteopathic treatment to those associated with osteopathic medicine in a variety of settings, these conversations provide new perspective on lighting the way for the path to best health. Please note that while I am a physician and may interview other physicians, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey, back with another episode of Conversations for the Health of All Things. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Stephanie Byerly. She's an OB anesthesiologist in Dallas. She's a gender equity and physician well-being expert and is a life coach for female physicians. I'm so excited to have her join us today and talk about how she sees herself for the health of all things. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very excited. Tell me about your story. That's a great breadth of experience and different interest areas. Tell me about your journey into medicine and where you are now. So uh, my sister will tell you that when I was about two or three years old, every day I would say, I want to get out my doctor kit and I want to listen to your heart and, you know, things like this. And so I always had the thought that I was going to be a doctor, got a little off track for a year or two in high school and went to a uh, performing arts high school, which was quite an experience, and then figured out, yes, I want to be a doctor. So um, you got into medical school, which was an awesome journey. I thought I wanted to be an OBGYN, but then did the OB. OB anesthesia elective and loved the anesthesia part. So I became an anesthesiologist and I actually did a fellowship in neuroanesthesiology, came to where I'm working now and um, been there for 23 years, just about, which I can't believe. And in the last five years have transitioned to doing obstetrical anesthesiology. It's been quite the journey. Yes. Yeah, so interesting how it maps it around that way. Tell me a little bit about the Performing Arts High School. I have to ask about that tangent for a minute. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So um, I went to a Performing Arts High School in Fort Lauderdale after getting close with some friends who went there. And I thought, oh, this will be you know really cool and got into the lighting and set design part of it. And actually, um, I, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but went to Emerson College in Boston, which is a performing arts sort of college and got mm-hmm. off the plane in Boston and said, this is the worst mistake of my life. And I stayed there for three days and called my mother and said, I'm coming home because I want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was that was quite the journey, but it was very interesting to be around such an incredibly gifted group of who mm-hmm. dancing, acting, the lighting design, set design, costume design. It was just a whole nother world uh, and it was exciting, but it wasn't just wasn't for me. I always had had this passion to become a doctor. And I think that probably stemmed from I was pretty sick as a little girl and spent some time in the hospital a month one time. And I actually had a student nurse who I, I still can see her face. She just kind of... Um, I don't know. She latched onto me or I latched onto her probably. And I remember going to fill the oxygen tanks at night is really like different, the tents from what it is now. And then we'd have to go do that, fill it with ice. That was four. Mm-hmm. And I just 
remember that, but we became friends when I went back to the hospital a couple of years later to have my tonsillectomy. She came and brought me a little doctor bag. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I was on my way to that passion. Mm-hmm. And so interesting how that trajectory keeps going, right? We might try to take these diversions and detours, but it carries us forward. I just have to share. I had a very similar experience. I got to school and had a totally different major. And on the very first day of class, we went around, and introduced ourselves. And I said, I have to go back and change my major to pre-med <laughs> and left the room and went and switched it back, you know? So I hear you in that story. I love it so much. And so you made that move into obstetric anesthesia and then, right. Did you find that the gender equity came from that space or was that happening at the same time? And thanks for entertaining my tangent there. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. No, I probably, um, I've been doing OB anesthesia for five years, but I would say that probably, Five years prior to that is when I really started my journey, first of all, on physician wellness because of my own pretty significant episodes of burnout. And a lot of it had to do with what was going on in my personal life as well as my professional life. But um, I really started getting into the part about the gender equity because I don't think I really ever thought there was a difference between men and women until I started working as a faculty, actually. I never really experienced it in medical school or in my residency at at all. And then I just thought, wow, this is really real. And I think my generation of physicians, we deal with it and have dealt with it, talking to each other and maybe trying to do things to make it better. But I think now, since it's on such the forefront and and you can talk about it and there's people who are going to listen because they know it's real, um, that that part really got me going. And I ended up being asked to write a paper uh, that I did publish, and it's called uh, Female Physician Wellness, Are Our Expectations of Ourselves Extreme? Because... Mm. I, the more research I did and found all the subjective data, like I was on fire. Like I was like, I got to do this, you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, that started it. And, but that also went along with my physician well-being interest. And so it all kind of melded together, especially when I really got to understand the physician well-being issue and then to look at women specifically. And it, it's been a very eye-opening experience and I've just been very fortunate to have met some great people who have, you know, allowed me or asked me to do some things that have been wonderful. Mm-hmm. And we look at that kind of distressed well-being continuum. What are some of the things that you picked up when writing that paper that were so eye-opening for you and that led you really into this path more fully? So I, you know, I always thought to myself, uh, I was, my ex-husband is a physician And I thought I must've been the only one that experienced things the way that I did. And then I started talking to younger faculty who were getting, you know, pregnant or getting married or, you know, and you don't even have to have kids, but, and I just thought, oh my gosh, like this is everybody and everybody is suffering with the same thing. And so when I really figured out that it wasn't just me being the only woman that was responsible for all the domestic duties, in addition to working a full-time job as a physician, uh, in, you know, in an academic medical center where you have to get promoted. And it really, um, it was eye-opening to find out all of the objective information about the pay difference, which still exists. In fact, the Medscape Physician Compensation Survey just came out and it's actually worse this year. Um, You know, and finding out about how many deans there are in the United States that are women, 
closer their assistant deans, you know, and they don't have those positions, how many chairs there are that are women, how women don't get as many grants, how women are over-mentored and under-sponsored. And it, it, it was just on and on and on. And then looking at the business world, which is a little bit further ahead than we are, and looking at the amount of women that are CEOs, and then looking at minority women that are CEOs. And this was all just eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. And what have you found to be some of the bright lights or beacons of hope that keep you in this space? Because ideally, right, we're working toward a solution or we're seeing some change you just noted even this year, right? That pay gap actually worsened. Mm-hmm. And so what are the things that keep you moving forward in this work? So um, I feel like for me, everything happened that happened in my life and everything that has happened since I you know, it came to where I work and all my life experiences have brought me to this point for a reason. And so that I can help medicine, first of all, in a different way, rather than just what I do clinically, which I absolutely love. But I feel like at this point, it's time for me to help more people in a different way. And from my background and the things that I've, I've gone through, a lot of traumatic experiences and some family members with addiction, really, my burnout forced me to do my own personal growth work, which has gotten me to point where I'm, I want to push forward. So I'm, I'm actually currently now as of like this weekend, the chair of the committee on women in anesthesia for the American society of anesthesiologists. Uh, we just published a paper uh, that'll be in the ASA monitor looking at the effects of COVID-19 on female anesthesiologists and actually some men also. Uh, we are, I work with the physician well-being committee also for the American society of anesthesiologists. And we work on a lot of gender issues. Um, I'm, uh, actually a life coach. I just became certified and I'm going to focus on female physicians who've experienced trauma in their lives or had addiction around them in their lives with a family member or, or a significant other. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, uh, in that way, I'm going to be able to help so many women feel trapped and stuck and like all they do is survive their life rather than thrive. And I did that for so long that I, I really want to help women not have to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, congratulations on that position. And thank you for that work. It's so important to have advocates in those spaces. And I Mm -hmm. think very powerful to have had your personal experience, not that we wish it on anyone, but to come from that place of really knowing to be able to speak for meaningful change. And if you wouldn't mind, yes. what were some of those signs that you can see now maybe a little bit more clearly that your health maybe was diminishing, right? Because burnout is kind of that dimming of our light, of our health not expressing itself as fully. So what can you see now maybe were the earlier warning signs and what were some of those most significant experiences where you noticed extreme burnout for yourself? Well, I, I will have to say when I finished all my training and started working, two children, married, you know, all the, the, the stresses of starting a new job, et cetera, I thought, wow, I, I imagine that when I finished my medical training, there was going to be this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and not meaning just making some, you know, um, money, but that life was just going to be perfect because we had worked so hard to get here and et cetera, et cetera. And then I really realized, okay, this is going to be my life for a long time. And then things started getting not so great in my marriage. So I had that on top of it and um, not a great relationship, some kind of like abusive qualities in the relationship. So I really started second guessing myself 
and my self-confidence suffered a lot. And um, it just made me really question, 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 question myself. And I think I did that for a very long time. Uh, and I, I was, as far as like how I would act during that time that I thought I need to change this is like yelling at my kids because I was just always worried about something going on and I would be short with them. And, and I did not, I did not like that. And I had to restructure how that went. Uh, I, I know that there were times when I was reactive at work, that was probably a little bit overboard for the situation. Uh, I think, um, and I did probably suffer consequences from that at work. And um, for those of us in the medical field, which is probably most of the people listening, sometimes it's really hard to get rid of that kind of reputation. And so that follows you, you know, along. So I really had to, I, I came from an anesthesia program where like you fought the fight. Like it didn't matter what it was, like you fight the fight. And I had to learn that where I was, like that's not acceptable and you have to pick your battles. But I was always just ready for battle. And I, but I wasn't in control, I think, of my thoughts and, and my emotions. Mm-hmm. So I really had to learn to get a handle on, you know, let's remember why you became a doctor. I think I lost my empathy for a long time because I felt like, look at my life. Like, why, why is this happening to my life? And everything was a struggle, really. Honestly, it was like surviving the day and just wishing to go home and go to sleep and then mm-hmm. wake up the next day and do it again. And probably when I was about 40 is when I thought, and I'm 55 now, I thought, you know what, this, I'm not going to let my past, my future, and I'm going to change things because I don't want to raise my kids the way that I was raised. I don't want to ever have them have the experiences that I had. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be a great mom. I wanted to be a successful female position. I wanted to make change because I've always been a fixer. Mm-hmm. There's a problem. You tell me what it is. I will fix it for you. But I really had to start thinking about myself, my kids, my self-care, uh, how I wanted to be seen as who I am as a physician and et cetera. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of us feel the same way. Being a physician to me is my identity mm-hmm. and it's not just what I do. It's who I am. And I, I, I know corny as it is, it still is such a noble profession. And I, and it's very easy to lose sight of that with what we're all challenged with on a daily basis. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to note here because we talk about professionalism and being able to keep, you know, work at work and home at home. Yeah. But if we're being honest about the unity of ourselves, right? In osteopathic medicine, we talk about body, mind, and spirit, but also mm-hmm. we are our whole self everywhere we go. And I, to me, some of the challenges are when we do ask people, right, to turn it off and to forget pieces of them. <clears throat> because the challenge is, what if you don't remember? Right? What if you don't remember that part of you? And so what are you noticing in the work you're doing now, inviting people to address those parts of themselves that maybe they have ignored or not nourished as much? And if that is personal, does it help them in the professional space? Did it help you right, to be able to support both parts of you in that way? It, it absolutely did. Um, I, I have found with myself, and, and this is actually something recent, which I was telling my daughters about, it's, it's been exciting for me, is I, I really had an artistic part of myself all growing up. And then when I, when I went to medical school, I really, that part of me just became sequestered. 
And I'm starting to get that back now, especially because life coaching is not a science. It's, it's an art. And so I, it isn't black and white. There isn't always a perfect answer. And so it's really about listening to people and helping them look at their thoughts and it changes everything. To me, it's been life transforming. And so I want to do that for other people because when I, I didn't really know what life coaching was, but I was sort of doing the things that you do when you getting life coaching in, in other arenas that all just kind of came together and all of that work true. And it was painful. A lot of it's painful. I have to say, I had to go back and apologize to a lot of people uh, for myself. They sort of didn't even remember most of the stories, but uh, I had to do that for myself. And I just kind of realized what I need to do to change. And it, it really changed my life. Like I am a completely different person than I was 15 years ago in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important to illustrate that I love. So now I feel totally justified. We took that tangent earlier because <laughs> unleashing that creativity is so important. And I think we oftentimes think creativity means we have to paint something or be musical, but it just means thinking differently, right? Having yeah new ideas and challenging yourself to think of something that maybe hasn't happened yet and inviting that for physicians when we have been asked to follow a pretty paved trajectory. And there's lots of different specialties, but somebody's always telling us, do this next, do this next, follow this, get this you know, certification. And it can snuff it out, right? It can say, well, there's no room for alternate answers here, right? It's got to fit. It's got to be one of these four choices. And so to bring back that creative spirit really can be right? That igniting or reigniting of the health in a very different way. What do you notice as being the most enjoyable way you're expressing creativity these days? Or maybe it's more than one thing that you're doing. So I, I love the spontaneity of just like having this idea and saying, you know what, I'm going to do that. So one of the things I'm working on now um, for part of my life coaching is making a journal that has daily sheets in it that will have multiple things that you, you ask for like daily affirmations. Let's do a thought download, get everything out of your brain. What are, what's an amazing thing about yourself today? You know, what are you going to do for self-care today? And I'm really excited about designing that and working on like my website and, and what I'm going to offer to clients to build the most value. But my mind is in a different place as far as more open and being much more ability to have new thoughts, the ways that I've never thought before. And I, um, in my home life and with my kids and my significant other, just being more spontaneous, Hey, let's go do this or let's do this. We've never done this before and just open to new things. And I think COVID also has affected all of us in a lot of common ways. One of the ways that really has been great for me is being home more. I'm not on the go 24 seven. I'm comfortable with my, my house, you know, with my kitty cats all the time. I'm, I just, you know, I'm just, I think maybe more relaxed in a lot of ways. Like I have a lot more things I'm doing, but there are things that I'm really enjoying doing. So it isn't a chore per se, you know? And so um, to have that in my life now, and have a, a chance to have a sec, sort of a second passionate career along with being a physician. I, I feel so blessed. I am just so grateful. I can't even mm-hmm. tell you how excited I am. I love that. And I hear in there, one of the osteopathic tenets is the relationship of structure and function. 
and how when you have structure, things can work better. And sometimes it can go the other way. You know, we create things in order to serve a particular function, right? The function is predicting the form. And I love that. And you had me a journal because any day give you, you know, the journal and the place to write and explore. And so that's such a fascinating way for it to be creative, right? Because sometimes structure sounds rigid. The structure mm-hmm. can still be that space for creativity, but yes. giving you some shape, giving you that framework so you can hang some more of your creative pieces on there. Are there any other ways you see in your life that it's been helpful for you to create some of that framework that allows you to step into perhaps these different roles or how to balance, right? You're still in your clinical career and expanding. That's been useful for you. Do you have anything in that way? Yeah, I think um, the probably the biggest thing has been the, my training as a life coach because I had to do a lot of, a lot of getting coached and learning everything that I did and about honestly... <laughs> It, it seems so simple, but until you hear it, that your thoughts create your results and that you can think on purpose and you can get the results that you want by thinking on purpose. And that has really helped me and about how we all interpret an event or something differently and how those thoughts really affect everything. And so I'm much more conscious now of being able to see when I'm having a thought that's not going to serve me well and, and changing the thought and, and moving towards you know, a different a thought that's going to give me a better result. And that has affected every aspect of my life. And I think I have to be honest. Um, I didn't think that the life coaching training was going to be very difficult because I thought, Oh, I'm a physician. I've done this, but it was really challenging for me. And I had to get out of my own way of letting the creativity come back without being rigid and just, you know, okay, this is this, this is this. Mm-hmm. So my, I was very lucky that my teacher, she called me out on it and she said, what is preventing you from mm-hmm. being more of yourself? You know, you're like a robot. And I had to do a lot of, a lot of coaching around that to realize like it was my own thoughts about it. It was my own brain just putting up this block. Mm-hmm. but being able to get through that has given me so much self-confidence along with everything else that I do at work and all my other things that I do that I know that I have my own back and whatever I need to do, I'm going to do because mm-hmm. I've shown myself that I can and, you know, trying to, you know, really be conscious of, of the way that I think. Yeah. And that's such a powerful testimony. And as physicians, oftentimes we do that, right? We become a little more stoic or robotic so that we can not get sucked in, right? We can hold space, especially in a traumatic situation. And again, sometimes it can close us off. And have you found that it has been detrimental or beneficial that you've allowed yourself to kind of open up and see that there actually is space for you to be perhaps more connected, more open, more in touch with feelings? And I know that was the hardest thing for me. I had like three feeling words, you know, when we got started and I thought that was fine. I was fine with it. It was working for me. And so, especially if we've been successful, you know, in a lot of ways with how we have been, have you noticed an impact on your clinical care from making that shift Mm -hmm. in how you're thinking? I have, um, I would say for the, for inpatient care, it's different. I mentioned before that I really think I lost my sense of empathy for a long time, worked on that for probably the last 10 years, getting that back. But I now I'm able to actually sit with my feelings and feel my feelings where before I would just, if I had a negative feeling, it would just be doing something to get rid of the negative feeling. Now I can sit with it. I can help patients and have a connection with them in a different way. Uh, Doing obstetrical anesthesia. I take care of some really, really sick women 
and sometimes their life is on the line and I feel like I can really connect more and be more genuinely my authentic self and more empathetic with them. And I think that connection is really important. I will say also, I am the head of a division, an anesthesia division for OB anesthesia. And I, I think I'm more accepting of people's lives. Like when, when I train, I know we hear that all the time, right. But back in the day, like you, it didn't matter what was happening in your personal life. Like work was the most important thing. And this has been an evolution for me. I work with people that are younger than me for the most part. And just really saying, not judging people. That's been the biggest thing is not judging people nor their lives and accepting them for where they are and just being like, okay, let's work on the situations that if you shouldn't be doing this or you shouldn't be doing that, um, it's become uh, more, like you said, I think the word actually is connection with people. Mm -hmm. And actually listening to what they're saying and really trying to form deeper relationships when it's appropriate. I think that's so important. And especially right now on the broader scale, right? That lack of judgment or the release of judgment for ourselves first, right? Starting there and letting go of judgment for ourselves and for others is really what we need. And that's, you know, that's my thought, that's my opinion. But in this time, right, that is prohibiting our connection because we're coming from that place of judgment all the time. We can't, we can't hear what others have to say, even if we disagree with it, right? To be able to at least allow for the hearing space is so important. And I can think of in my training, how much that would mean to have my trainers say, you know, even if your experience is very different than mine yeah. you know, and the requirements are very different and Maybe I still think mine wasn't fair. I'm not going to let that cloud you know, this conversation and how we are operating from here forward today. That's so amazing. And how have you seen that reflected back to you from the people you're training or managing or directing? Um, I, I think before, if you've, well, if you've ever done any kind of personality testing um, on one of the tests that I took, I'm a D personality and D is like, you just get it done. Like you're a taskmaster. Mm-hmm. You might ask people, how are you doing? But you're really not listening. Mm-hmm. And if I ask you a question, it's really not a question. It's a statement. Like, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I think that people feel differently about that now. And I know more people at work are approaching me and coming to sit in my office and just having conversations about their life and their family. And, and um, I think part of it too, is that I'm taking time. Like I've always got too many things to do. And so a lot of times I'm like talking to them and looking down at what I'm doing and don't, and want to be, don't want to be bothered by that. And I've, I've really gotten rid of that attitude and just put it away for a few minutes. It's still going to be there. This person really needs you to mm-hmm. be with them and be your authentic self. And I really enjoy that because mostly I'm, I really want to make connections with people. And I, I really want to fix things for everybody. I still want to fix things. Like I want to make things better for my patients and I want to make things better for the doctors that I work with and the nurses and the CRNAs and the students. So always looking for ways to do that. But I, but I do think people have seen a change in me. I think I'm a, um, I think maybe I'm a little less harsh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that invites the connection, right? When there's that little bit of softening or opening then people are safer to come in, right? And see that they can be themselves with you. Because I find that often you're mirroring that. So if you're your authentic self, it really is inviting somebody to bring their whole self into the conversation. 
But I still have that side, and um, Dr. Sasha Shilcutt always says this, the gritty side, and when it, when it's time to fight a fight, I will fight the fight um, mm-hmm. in a different way, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in a, a more real neutral fashion, um, and so I think that's important. But one thing that really helped me a lot was, was following Brene Brown, and she has a book called Daring Greatly, and... It basically talks about you have to get rid of guilt and shame because those are the two most destructive emotions that you could have and become vulnerable. And I think that's really what describes it is letting yourself be vulnerable, but also knowing you have your own back and you're not Mm going to get yourself into a mess. And if you do, you'll see it earlier and retreat. (laughs) And that's so important to note that there's strength and vulnerability. And I love Brene Brown. I quote her in my weekly course every time she's, she comes up on our quote page. But knowing, I think it's so helpful to hear for other leaders, you say, I'm still able to fight the fight, right? And so we think sometimes, oh, I've done this. I'm soft. Everybody does what they want. No mm-hmm. one's holding up their responsibility. It's like, no, it's just a different leadership style. And mm-hmm. I can still tap into the strength and have boundaries, you know, and uphold standards when it comes from that place of love and lack of judgment and knowing and understanding, it's a totally different experience and yes. right, still productive and maybe even more so. It'd be interesting as you're moving through and whatever those markers are of success in your department, whether it's you know, patient evaluations or surveys or you know, mm-hmm. RVUs, whatever those measures are, how they change when we begin to have new cultural experience. And one thing we talk about is that capacity for self-healing. in osteopathic medicine and you're demonstrating that right you're talking about your journey from burnout now to living more fully and passionately in this what do you see around that either for yourself personally or professionally or clinically how do you see that emerging that we really can right get back to our whole selves and maybe we were always there right we just kind of covered it up with other things yeah I think for me the biggest thing was um forgiving myself for the past for whatever it had to do with, you know, a bad marriage, you know, situations with my children or at work, saying I'm sorry to the people that I needed to say I'm sorry to and just say it is what it is, but all I can do is change going forward. So not living in the past really is what really helped propel me and that I could control for the most part, not really control, but have a say in in my future and how do I want to be for that in that that way. And I, I think for my daughters, I raised them as a single parent. My two daughters saw that transition and now, you know, they are very healthy people and, and live their lives eating healthy, exercising, you know, practicing meditation, you know, self-care. And I think that has really helped them, you know, help them a lot. And I feel it every day because of my stamina and my motivation to just continue doing things. I'm not in that spot where every another little thing is just going to make me explode I mean don't get me wrong I still have my time like oh my gosh when am I going to fit this in but but it is I really want to do this now from a place of being able to make change Mm -hmm. so and that's a great great descriptor too of vulnerability so you're not you know vulnerable to these things right there's a difference between being vulnerable and weak and vulnerable and strong and yes. being able to demonstrate that and give that gift to your daughters is so amazing as well. 
Well, this has been super fantastic and we could totally come back again for many more episodes, <laughs> but I'd like to ask you how you see yourself for the health of all things. I see myself as a, um, a healer in a lot of ways. So what I do for anesthesia, I take care of people that are usually very afraid of what is about to happen. And I, it sounds odd to say this, but I, I make them unaware when things are happening to them. Uh, I think that I also bring a bit of a peacefulness to the universe because I, I've gone from being the reactive person, which I'm not going to say has a hundred percent gone, but, <laughs> but I, I think I'm more of a calming in a lot of situations in my personal life at work. Um, and just knowing that again, like I've got my own back and I've got your back too. So, you know, I'm here and, and, um, I just want to be a good soul in the universe and I'm just grateful for my life and everything that I've really gotten to experience and all the people I've met. And it's, it's just been an amazing, amazing life. And I really want to do a lot more wonderful things um, coming up uh, for myself and my personal life and for my professional life. And I'm hoping through this life coaching that I could really help a lot of women. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. So honestly and authentically in, in a vulnerable way that Brene would be proud of. That's my <laughs> thought around it. And you can see that, right? You can see your reach and the importance of having the calm and the fiery, right? We don't want to yes. touch on any of those pieces of us. We want to be able to call upon that when needed. And so how amazing that you can hold space for all of those for yourself and then extend that invitation to others. Thank you so much for taking... Thing? Oh, go ahead. Well, actually, I just want to say one more thing to let say about that. Is wasn't an overnight transition. Like this has been a journey. It has truly been a journey and I'm still learning every day. So I wouldn't want people to think that I was saying, oh, you can go from being this person one day to this person the next. It, it truly is a journey. Mm-hmm. But remember through the journey that you can fail forward, but you're just going to get back up and you're going to keep going. And that's how you have the self-confidence to keep trying new things and keep doing things. So... Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. And I think it is important to remember it doesn't just happen and stay either. Just like health. We don't just arrive and then we're, you know, tenured to health for the rest of our lives. No, it's continuous input and effort. But like you said, when it's the job that you love, right, it's effort that you're willing to keep putting in. So absolutely. Thank you. And to our listeners, yes. And we're subject to, you know, remissions and resurgences of those past selves and habits. But now we know, right, that it, we're not yes. stuck there. And that can Absolutely. be such, such a more relieving place to be. I love that. Perfect. Well, I'd like to make sure people can find you. And so do you have a website or what information would be useful so our listeners could get in touch with you? So my web, I have a website called physicianhealer.com that I'm changing to be more, it's focused. It's more of a wellness um, for physicians in general with a special focus for female physicians, but um, I'm modifying it for my life coaching business on Instagram. It's Stephanie Byerly MD. And I will be getting a Facebook um, page also started. So I would love to hear from anybody that has questions or just would like to talk. And uh, I love meeting new people. Excellent. I'll put all those in the show notes as well. And I hope we'll have you back again soon. This has been such a great conversation and I hear many more in our future. I would love that. Thank you so much. All right. 
hope you enjoyed this episode of This Osteopathic Life, Conversations for the Health of All Things. Please take a moment to like, rate, and review the podcast. And if you would like to be featured as a guest or know someone who you'd like to nominate as a guest for an episode, please let me know at thisosteopathiclife at gmail.com. Visit the website at thisosteopathiclife.com or visit me on Instagram and Facebook at This Osteopathic Life. Thank you so much for listening.